Before we get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know we have an exciting opportunity to share with you halfway through. So stay tuned to find out more. Welcome to the Australian Property Show. I'm your host, Tom Haig. Each week, I'll bring you the real stories behind Australia's most successful property people. No fluff, no get-rich-quick schemes, and definitely no Lambos. You'll hear everything from how to buy, invest, add value to, and profit from property. So thanks for joining us, and now let's get stuck into this week's episode. Today's episode, take a deep dive into the story of an incredibly inspiring lady, Helen Ewing. Helen is a seasoned property investor who has achieved enormous success and she shares what it was that allowed her to change her beliefs, her mindset and her attitude about what was possible in life. Now the very things that allowed her to accomplish uh, and achieve a property portfolio worth in excess of $10 million, including everything from the leapfrog strategy she adopted, inspiration from some of the smartest property investors and minds, not only here in Australia, but across the globe. Helen shares the real story, the challenges and the doubts that she needed to overcome. And ultimately, there are some incredible takeaways for anyone who aspires to build a portfolio that looks anything like Helen's does today. Thanks for joining. And without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging interview with Helen Ewing. Helen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Looking forward to it. Going to be a bit of fun. Good stuff. Before we dive into your story, and I guess as we record this, all around us there's talk of a serious market downturn developing. What were the worst market conditions that you can recall in your time as a property investor? I do particularly remember 2011 because I was actually selling a couple of properties then and it was particularly quiet. Um, the, I guess the, the issue was, though, that um, it actually stemmed back to 2008, the financial crisis, and there was a lot of fear coming over from America saying the market's going to you know, completely demolish itself, drop by 30%. The banks were saying the same thing. And I was a buyer in 2008, 2009. Um, but the market came up a bit in 2010 and then went down and it sat around till 2012. But then it really ticked up again. So it's a short-term blip. Shifting gears for a moment, what's the best lesson your mum and dad taught you about money when you are growing up? Um, buy a new car, it's a good investment. So... <laughs> Um, they weren't particularly helpful in that area. And I guess that being the case, uh, were there other mentors and influences you leaned on along the way? Oh, absolutely. And I was always interested because uh, I went to a good school, I studied, I went to university, I got a good job. And then I looked around and there was people that were living this amazing life and I didn't understand how. Like well, I can't afford to go there, travel, buy this. Um, So I met a couple of people along the way that, um, I guess, gave me an idea that um, having a good career wasn't what I particularly wanted, even though that's fantastic and I still enjoy my career. But I wanted to have some freedom and I wanted to be able to, um, like, buy that new cell phone when it came out. So... Um, 
so a couple of people, I guess, work-wise, but then um, my brother-in-law, um, he was a very and, – and my sister-in-law were very strong influences in that they were – she was a nurse, um, he worked as an engineer – and they kept make going on holidays and buying things. And I'm like, how come you can have got all this money? Um, and they were very hesitant to tell me at first. But then they said, oh, we've invested in property for the last 20 years. Um, and I didn't understand what that meant at that time. I was probably 25. Um, and they were kind enough to drive me around Brisbane and show me what they owned. And they had like 10, 15 properties, which was just mind-blowing. So... Um, they would sell a couple of properties and then go to Europe for six months and they end up buying a boat and travelling around around Europe. But So they actually helped me um, buy my first couple of properties. Awesome. And obviously with them as real-life influencers and people who are out there doing what you now do today, yeah. beyond them was there educators, was yeah. there authors, was there yeah. anyone else that you identified with and followed Uh, Absolutely. And it was Scott Nicotinka that actually said, you have to educate yourself. And um, what I came to understand was that we don't get taught about money and what our potential is to have security um, anywhere through the education system. And in fact, we we groomed to just have a job. So um, they made it really clear I needed to read. So there was books by Peter Spann, Jan Summers, um, and her books are definitely worthwhile reading now, for sure. Um, And books about the detail of property, but also about the mindset of what do you need to be thinking about planning, what belief systems do you need to be able to go out and do things that other people aren't prepared to do or other people don't understand. Uh, So um, I'd go to seminars. I'd do all of the... They used to have information nights. Um, and so I'd go to all of those um, and just read, 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 read. So you're a sponge by the sounds of it. It's a sponge. Yep. Well, I think anyone who, if you said to somebody, you can build a $10 million property portfolio in 10, 15 years, um, there's going to be a voice in their head said, don't be ridiculous. I know that was in my head. So I knew I wanted to... Um, replace my income so I didn't have to work. I, I was more about security than I didn't want flash cars. I didn't necessarily want the house on the beach. I wanted security that if something happened, I could just write a check. That was my thing. And so when you look at, well, okay, if I want 100 grand a year, how much property do I need? That's really hard to get in your head that it's possible or that you deserve it. So you've got to work on those beliefs. And in those experiences in educating yourself in exposure to what your family were doing mm. with property, do you recall the first moment you really knew that you wanted to become a property investor? Um, the very ink, the first moment was when Scott and Katiga drove me around and I'm like, they've just got all these properties. And they had that freedom to go, well, we're not going to work for six months, we're off. Um, so I wanted that life. So there was it was really triggered then. But another big leap to that was I bought a couple of properties in Queensland, my husband and I bought them, and then I bought one next door to one because what Katinka was showing me was I could do a boundary adjustment and we sold it within six to eight weeks and I made 50 grand. And I went, hang on, that's what I get paid for a whole year of work at 25. So um, this is what's going on here. (laughs) 
And tell us a, bit, a little bit more about that. So a boundary adjustment. So yep. like a, a, went through a subdivision yep. process. Yep. Or so I had a um, had a three bedroom house, and we bought a two bedroom house um, next door. We moved the boundary a meter, and that meant that that other property became uh, it had development potential. So we sold that property off. Incredible. So it was just a cracker. Easiest money you made in property. Absolutely, and it, and it, if I could just have re- repeated more of those. There were similar things along the way, but um, it is finding those opportunities that can really, um, I guess, accelerate a day-to-day or month or year-to-year property building portfolio. The You touched on a little bit of the sort of belief in your ability to achieve mm-hmm. what are some pretty big, hairy, audacious goals. Yep. How was it that you came to turn your mind to the kind of things that you just mentioned, so boundary adjustments, you know, as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. A lot of investors, obviously first-time investors, are more focused on how do I get an extra 20 bucks a week in rent. What was it or who was it that sort of alerted you to the fact that there is these opportunities? I think it was Peter Spann's first book, uh, and that was about, um, I think he called the leapfrogging strategy. So whatever you buy, you want to see that there's money in the deal, and that's being able to do something with that property so you can gain equity, so you've got enough equity to do another one after that. And how do you afford to own these properties? What can you do with income? So not just buying a property, but looking at what what do I need to do to keep building my wealth? Now, that said, that's an active investor, um, and that is amazing, but you can still build a property portfolio without actually doing all of that actively. So, and I guess you and I were talking about those two sides. I was very active. I'd buy a property, um, change the bedroom structure, add a carport, and then I would sell it or I would actually keep that one for rental. But people can actually build a great portfolio by just working with somebody else that's going to help them buy solid quality properties. Mm And your, your approach, obviously, was one that came after, no doubt, developing a heap of confidence through educating yourself. Yeah. Through those early years, mm. starting out, how much time and effort would you say that you put into educating yourself? Mm. I don't know whether I could... Um, um, I used to read every day. and I, And I think that my parents particularly... Well, in my mind, they had bad money sense... So, you know, they were going to retire, they still owed money on their house, they are always fighting about money, they never seemed to save any money, we never went on great holidays. So I really had to try to work out how to build some new belief systems. Um, so I went to Anthony Robbins and jumped off poles and things <laughs> to try to scare myself into <laughs> believing different stuff. And I don't think you need to do all of that as well, um, but... I would read a lot um, and when I started looking at property, I would be out every Saturday. So a friend and I used to go out every Saturday morning. This was in the days though when you had to get got the newspaper. You'd run down the shop and get the newspaper out at 6 o'clock in the morning and you'd work out and you'd write a list with your Refidex because you didn't have SatNav then and write down which property you're going to see. We could see 15 properties in a day. It was very... and. And that's the other thing is just by going out and looking at properties and seeing what you do, finding out what it sells for, that's education as well. Awesome. Uh, 
uh, I, I remember uh, growing up in Melbourne, the uh, the Melways, the old man getting the Melways out as we yeah. go to try and find the uh, the weekend soccer match. And yeah. um, it's it's changed so much, hasn't it? To to think that you know a little over fifteen years ago we were still scouring through the newspaper, or even less, twelve mm. years ago before yep. re.com. Uh, remember, remember the trading post being a big oh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, life before Gumtree. So yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 interesting to see how things have become a hell of a lot easier for investors, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. You touched on uh, the experience with your folks, yeah, and them not necessarily being the most positive money influences mm. in your life. Um, the internal drive to achieve the kind of results that you've you know, you enjoy today the success that you enjoy today. Uh, what was it that motivated you? Was it was it that experience of exposure to you, to your parents? Mm. Just a short message from our team, then we'll be right back to the show. Have you ever thought about investing in property, but are unsure how to get started as an investor? As the saying goes, success leaves clues. So rather than feel like you've got to wing it or go it alone. What if instead you could access the experience, guidance and direction of someone who's been successfully investing in property for the last 13 years? With our Property Wealth Investment Plan, you can do just that. Get started on your journey to financial freedom with your very own investment plan. Working alongside me and my team will help you identify the right investment strategy for you. We'll even prepare a property search formula you can follow to secure your very first investment property with confidence, in less time, and without all the usual frustrations. If you've been waiting for the right time, this is it. Head to the link in our show notes or send us a message directly at mymoneysorted.com.au. Now let's get back to the show. I think I never wanted to be stressed about money. Um, And... I said, it, it did come for me for um, I wanted that security so and I didn't want to ever argue with my husband about money. So I wanted to make sure I had enough money to... Um, uh, and, and Chris is also a bit of a car guy, so I got a bit of motivation out of... Um, he wants to... When we bought our first house, he suggested that we actually um, buy a car that was the same money as the house and suggested we could sleep in the car. He's very passionate about cars. <laughs> So, yeah, I was, I was inspired to buy him good cars, maybe. <laughs> Love it. That's really great. And in, in those days when you had aspirations to obviously, you know, have a prosperous financial future, so to speak, um, why was it that you gravitated towards property over other investments? Um, I think initially that was because I didn't know anything about investing in anything. And I had... Scott and Katinka, who were a really good guide for me at the time. And, and if, in fact, they would actually... They were very clear with, just buy that one, just buy that one. OK, now you think, what are you going to buy and we'll guide you? So it was having someone to hold my hand to start with. And so I was... I, and I can be a very focused person. I'll just do that with property. Um, I did in 2000 um, because I'd made great money in the, the properties... So I did borrow some money and invest in the share market. Um, and I had a couple of hundred thousand dollars in the share market and I'd been writing covered calls and those sorts of things because it was very exciting. Um, and I was, in, I was in Hawaii with September 11 
So that was that was pretty scary. Um, but I ended up doing lots of activity in terms of uh, selling puts and talking to my broker and I made a bit of money. But then the following January, nothing really happened in the market, but I lost 50 grand. And it freaked me out to the point I sold everything and said, that's it, I, I'm just not going there. Because um, I don't go to May, Mayfield and the back of one of my houses has fallen off. And if it did, I've got insurance. So I don't like investing in anything that I could lose money. And I've worked that out about my... Everybody has different ways of making money. And even within property, one person will make money one way in property and someone will do something completely different and still do well. But I particularly don't like any chance of risking to lose money. Sure. Um, nervous times around September 11, huh, with a couple hundred thousand dollars in the market. Freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. The, the property portfolio that you still hold today, what kind of properties have you targeted within that over the years? So what, uh, so you're talking about what type of properties did I buy? Uh, so I went to buy Mayfield when it was still just um, after BHP actually closed down. And so I was mainly buying two bedroom houses I could change to three or ones that didn't have off street parking that I could put a carport on or it was just an old house and I could do a renovation. Um, so, and then along after doing that for a couple of years, I came across a property in Baruta Street that was um, already turned into one bedroom flats and saw a huge market for one bedroom accommodation. So I kind of got interested in that and bought a couple that were, uh, another one was like a three bedroom house that had already been turned into, I didn't want to do it myself, but the structure was already there. So I just renovated them and did that. Um, I did take a little bit of time in boarding houses because I was looking for a higher rental return because I, I didn't want to accumulate a huge responsibility in terms of negatively gearing and because the whole point was to have less pressure to work rather than more. So I needed to balance the, um, if I was holding a property, like we bought a property in, um, in Hamilton and it was negatively geared, so I wanted to find a property that I could buy that I could increase the rent so that it balanced out that responsibility. Um, and then I continued to get more interested in like like little one bedroom sort of accommodation. So And the with the attraction to the one bedders? Um, there was a huge market for it at the time and I think that in my mind that was going to continue um, over a long, long period of time because people were changing from being happy to share to really wanting their own space. Um, and there was always such a uh, if ever we put one of the one bedrooms on the, the market um, for rent, there would be so many more applications than for a three-bedroom house. And the the scenario, or sorry, the strategy or approach across the portfolio seemed to be consistently the a leapfrog strategy, always looking yep. to add value. Is, yep. that, is that right? Um, absolutely. What it was also driven by was um, how can I borrow more money? I can borrow more money. Great, buy another property. So there was only a couple of times that. I thought, oh, I'm not buying at the moment. One was 2002, 2003, when instead of paying $110,000 for a house in Mayfield, they'd gone up to one fifty, and I thought, that's ridiculous. It can't go any higher. <laughs> and 
And for anyone not familiar with Mayfield, uh, how would you describe that then and now? So then it was a suburb that um, people didn't want to go to. So I know friends of mine at the time said, I'm not coming out there to visit you. We moved from Charlestown, which was a respectable area if you want to. It was very working class. Um, you know, there was um, some issues, I guess, with um, certain parts of the, the population. Um, but I saw it as a really undervalued um, area in comparison to what was going around. So, And that's something that I tended to look at, um, even with other areas, was to look at, well, what what's going on on the, the properties or, or the... Um, I guess the suburbs around and um, so locally here like Islington was always going to be pulled up by um, by Hamilton people could no longer afford in a better area so they moved to the next level so early signs in neighbouring suburbs of mm. a bit of gentrification happening yep. people spilling over due to affordability mm-hmm. and I guess to paint the picture for anyone who's not familiar with uh, <laughs> With that suburb of Newcastle, yeah. uh, including Islington, yeah. uh, Mayfield, very hipster-esque these, guys, those oh, d- these days, would you enjoy it? It's so cool. Yeah. And um, it's definitely, like now, it's um, a, a very cool suburb to live in. Um, I, I guess it's, um, how do I put my finger on it? It's... <sighs> Where, where are people going to go um, in terms of being able to go to affordability and where is the government spending money? So at that time, they were also planning um, the road that went from uh, through Newcastle through past um, some of these suburbs um, to connect with the highway. So someone told me a long time ago, I probably read it, probably went to a seminar, that look at where the government's spending money in terms of infrastructure because then businesses will spend money there that will then bring people. Um, I miss the, the, that new road, Wickham, you could buy a house in Wickham for 50 grand, 60 grand, um, and I was really busy, so I didn't actually get to buy any at the time. I mean, now they're all a million dollars, and that's what, mm, 20 years later? I know 20 years seems a long time, but um, that's a, it's a big change because the government put the, the money into the, the roads and changing the zoning around the, the waterfront. Um, and if you can find out what they're doing, and it doesn't happen quickly. So if you see boat roads being built, it doesn't mean you've missed out. Mm-hmm. And these are all what, suburbs within 10 minutes drive of the beach? Yeah. I think right. Mayfield's promoted as a beachside suburb. <laughs> but it's not quite, but not quite. pretty close. And I guess you touched on a few of the different types of property that are in the portfolio. Um, was there a certain reason that you gravitated towards those properties over, over say, the traditional investment approach, which is more or less to buy a similar property to what you live in? I would never buy a property that I live in, no. Sorry, is that a traditional approach? Um, so I... Uh, and I, I think that was that very much wasn't on my mind. And I do see people actually look at buying an investment property and they're very focused on, oh, well, I wouldn't live there. Well, no, that's not the point. It's what's the demand? Um, is it a property that's going to rent really well? 
can you do something or is there some future potential? Is it on a really large block? Has it got the potential to put a granny flat on? All different things you could possibly do. Um, I've always been focused on what does the average person want to buy? Mm -hmm. I know some people have made amazing money in investing in prestige property, but that's not been my thing. Um, the other thing we, is terms of developments. I've been involved in some developments, um, townhouses, and that's been more for um, thrills and giggles um, and some cash flow. I've put money into developments with... I only ever put money in that I knew I could lose. That, you know, the one was $900,000 and I was like, well, if we, if we lose it, it's not going to kill me. Um, and we made great money out of it. But also there was a point during that development we could have lost half a million because things change with developments all the time. Um, but it wasn't my bread and butter of building wealth. That was like an income strategy. But I, I guess the people I know that did developments, and I used to say, there's a friend of mine that started doing developments of townhouses the same time I started um, renovating property, and I said, you should keep one out of each development. And now his biggest regret is, oh, I should have kept one out of each development, because he didn't keep any. So there's no leverage over time. He's still going in, uh, doing the work to get a development going, building it, taking all of that massive risk, and generating an income, which is not how property um, can work best for you over the long term, I don't think. The, the high risk that you took on with those developments and mm. being an investor in those, where were they on your investment timeline? Yeah. Oh, much later on. So mm, five years ago, maybe. So for context, about 15, 20 years into your... Yep. Investment journey. I know, it makes me... Yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, 50... Yep. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, probably 18 years in. 18 years in. I, I think it's just worth highlighting because obviously what you've spoken about in terms of early days, one, having great guidance, mm. two, educating yourself, but third, I guess, it's just understanding your risk profile mm. at that stage of life. Obviously, when you were building your portfolio risking $900,000 would have been, it would have kept you up every night of the week, right? Just wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So it certainly sounds like you've been, you applied mm. a very measured approach to the kinds of deals that you got involved with. Mm. And as you say, entering a development deal, understanding that you could potentially lose it all, mm. meant that you were going into it eyes wide open. Yeah. And uh, perhaps a little less mm. stressed about the whole experience. Yeah. And, and it is a general opinion. A lot of people want to get into property development straight up um, and it is risky. It's a business. It's not solid investing in um, an asset that will grow over time. It's a completely different thing. It's a business deal. It's not, a, an, in my mind, it's not an investment. So if you buy an $800,000 house and you can fund that $800,000 house, it will grow over time. And I think... That's what people don't um, don't really connect with is the massive amount of money you can make holding property. So um, you can make great income when you do certain things in property, but if you hold property for the long term, um, that's where the real wealth is. So and and you can't do anything except for wait. So. Um, I was telling you about Mayfield and prices had gone up to $150,000. So I bought a property and it was the first one I tried to renovate and I listened to tradesmen. It's a disaster. 
It's just the ugliest thing. But anyway, <laughs> I still have it. And I paid 110 for it. And I know that sounds like not a lot of money because this was in 2000. Um, and I spent 25 grand on it. And I think it revalued at 175-ish and I rented it for maybe 185. And I thought, that gets to 250, I'm gonna sell it. So, and then if it gets to 400, I'd have to sell that because that's just crazy. I think now it's maybe seven, 750. So, and that's because of the multiplier effect of compound interest. You can't save that money, you can't earn that sort of money. So, and I know it seems like not a lot, but that property with 750, I've helped friends' kids buy property when, uh, you know, they've been 18 and 19 and $300,000 sounded like a lot. They were like, oh, but it's not 100 like you could buy for, it's not going to happen for me. And so now we're talking about 650. So sure, there's going to be some ups and downs along the way because you're not going to make 5 or 7% every year, mm-hmm. but property is... Land is not becoming, uh, I guess, um, easier to to find. We have a restriction in terms of supply. So it might not double in seven years, might not double in 10, but it'll double in 12. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's a lot that we can read into around the media headlines about what's happening in the market. Yeah. How often was that a factor for you? Um, So when everyone was talking about buying property, I'd stop. So the banks would send you, as soon as they started sending out um, communications saying, come and see us to buy an investment property, I'd be like, oh, oh, the market's too, oh, stop, think about it. Um, So every time I've seen them, um, the property's going to dive by 30%, 20%, we're all going to be homeless, all that that sort of stuff. Um, Does it change the market? I think maybe people get, um, go through a hesitation stage. But if everybody is terrified, like, I don't want to necessarily buy any more properties right now. However, if everybody was running around saying property is the worst thing, I'm never buying property again, I think I'd have to buy something because I know that'd be the right time to buy. Sure. It certainly sounds like it's the, uh, the Warren Buffett approach. Yeah. Obviously be... What does he say when... Be fearful when others are greedy. Greedy, greedy when others are fearful. It's so true. Yeah. I, there was some properties last year I couldn't talk people out of buying because they just had to get in is that right and oh dear yeah, it's, it's nasty isn't it certainly yep. for those that bought through either the last 12 months or even that COVID period where yep. we saw you know the uptick of close to 30% which is exactly the opposite of what exactly the, media the opposite of what everybody else said yeah so um, if you're listening, and, and the media, they're focused on headlines, in my opinion. They're just focused on headlines. Mm-hmm. If they knew what they were talking about, they'd be living on an island with servants. They wouldn't be on television telling you. Couldn't agree more. Over the journey, what would you identify as your worst investment decision? And uh, Not buying things. My husband complains because I don't do it so much anymore, but... We'd drive around somewhere and go, oh, should have bought that. Oh, should have bought that. <laughs> so, but you can't buy everything. True. Now, I understand there's a little story about almost not being able to buy something and you took a very creative approach to oh, yep. ensuring that you're able to beat the, sorry, meet the lend, the bank's lending criteria. So, yep. uh, would you mind you sharing that You want me to tell that story. So, and it... Banks will tell you what you can and can't do. 
my thoughts are is to get to understand how they judge things so that you can tell them what they can do. But I did face a situation when really, really early on and I think we had the house we are living in, one investment property and I had bought another investment property and I wanted to buy the one next door and my servicing according to the bank was $300 a week um, short and strangely life happens that somebody whilst in the door a couple of days after I found this out and they'd heard about this opportunity to be a caretaker at a safe and sound storage facility. It was a brand new apartment and it was rent free. All we had to do was live there and if something happened, go and fix it. Um, so I moved out of, or I moved my husband and I out of our house and we moved into this unit in this storage facility. The kids were frightened. They thought we were living in one of the units. So they were a bit worried at the time, but it was fine. And so that allowed us to buy the property next door to the one that we own. Those two properties I ended up subdividing and I built two new properties on the back. So I probably made a million dollars out of that. So sometimes you've got to be prepared to do unusual things or um, uh, whether it's like put off buying a car, whether it was, you know, going and taking this caretaker after hours role. Um, I actually loved it. I thought we'll just do it for six months, then move back into our house. We stayed there for three years because there was no bills and I thought that was very exciting. <laughs> it is probably one of the more creative solutions to a financial servicing problem that I've heard, uh, beating the banks at their own game yep. and making a million bucks along the way. Why not? It was just it was the best decision. Oh, fantastic. And lastly, your advice for anyone who's standing in the spot that you found yourself in 20-odd years ago? Um, educate yourself. And, I, and I'm going to... Actually, I'm going to balance that. For those of you who want to be active and actually do things yourself, like you want to renovate, educate yourself. If you are busy with your job, because that's what happens, is that we get so busy doing what we're doing, we forget to make money. So I was like that over COVID. Um, we were just so busy with things... I just missed all these opportunities. You get, you're busy working, you don't see the opportunities around you. So um, if you can find somebody who will help you actually put that plan together and ask you those questions like, what do you, what do you actually want? And what sort of assets will help you achieve that? And then give you a plan to go and do it. If, if I was, like I see many people, in a position that you're working, you've got kids, um, you don't have to do it, make money out of property by being active. You can just buy one, sometimes two properties a year and it'd be amazing what happens in the next 10 years, 10, 15 years. But it's taking action. If you take action today, what are we, 2023? 20, so in 10 years' time, what? and you've got 10 properties and they're growing, the difference to your life could be enormous, but it's making the decision to do that. So... Either educate yourself and get into it, get dirty, do some work, or find someone who can just go and find you the, the properties. It'll cost you more, but it'll cost you much more if you don't do anything. Great advice. Helen, this has been really special. Thank you very much for your very real story and uh, obviously for, sh for sharing that with us. We really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for joining. Yeah, it was good fun. Thank you. 
That's a wrap for this episode of the Australian Property Show. Thanks for listening and don't forget to join our exclusive Facebook members group, which you can find a link to in the show notes below. Bye for now. I hope this latest property chat has inspired you and helped knock out any limiting beliefs that might be holding you back. If you're feeling motivated to get into the property market, but are wanting a coach to guide you on the journey, check out our property wealth investment plan via the link in the show notes. We look forward to meeting with you.